And all that is about to change. Has Mama gone crazy? The little eagle asks. Mother eagle begins by tearing a big hole in one side of the nest. Next, she begins to pick apart and destroy the padding and the soft insulation. The nest that was once soft and comfy now has sharp sticks and rough branches poking out at the baby eagle. Then after deconstructing the nest, Mama Eagle swoops down and pushes the baby eagle out of the nest into thin air. The poor little eaglet begins to fall through the sky, terrified, squawking and flapping its wings. With the ground rushing to meet it just in the nick of time, Mother Eagle swoops under Baby Eagle, and with the eaglet now clinging to her back, she soars high into the sky again. Now higher than the nest, she drops the baby again. What is she doing? Mother Eagle repeats this terrifying procedure several more times, when sooner or later, some sooner, some later, the Baby Eagle learns how to spread its wings and fly. What an uncomfortable experience. I heard a empathy there saying, oh, out there this morning already. Being pushed out of a soft, warm, comfortable, secure place out into thin air, into the unknown. But that is the way most eagles learn how to fly. Today we're going to talk about learning how to fly, not literally, but figuratively. As Christians today in America, most of us have been comfortable in our nests for a long time. In our church, we're comfortable. Everything is predictable. We know everyone. There are no unexpected surprises. We know what to expect. We're warm, we're secure, and all of our needs are being met. Then Mother Eagle, or Father God, decides it's time to get moving. And everything gets turned upside down. And we ask, has God gone crazy? Is he out of control? What's going on here? God, in his love, is not about to let us get too comfortable. He wants the church, this church, on the move, going forward. He wants a church that flies. Today we're going to talk about the early church of Jesus in the book of Acts. The followers of Jesus had watched as he was taken up to heaven, and they were instructed to wait in Jerusalem until you were clothed with power from on high. And that power came on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was sent. And all, although everything wasn't all roses in Jerusalem, it looked, pretty, it looked pretty good. This was now a church of about 10,000 people. All their needs were being met. They had growing influence and respect. They stayed in Jerusalem. Well, Mother Eagle was not about to let them get too comfortable, so he began to make things uncomfortable. It was the only way he could get them to move forward so they could fly. Today, flying lessons, flying lessons. I want you to turn with me to, to Acts, the eighth chapter. Acts 8, and you can read it on your iPad or iPhone. I won't be insulted if you do that. If I, you might want to, if I say something, uh, accidentally say something profound, you can tweet it, and uh, whatever you want to do. But let's, let's read together. It'll also be up on the PowerPoint. Or, or pro, what's it called? Different, it's a different program. Okay. Verse 8, chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. 
Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. The question we always ask is, what does this ancient text or this account have to do with us today? Well, God needed to get his church moving out of Jerusalem, out of their comfort zone, to where people, other people needed to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And the question is, what did he do then, and how does God move the church today? How does God move the church? We think of the church as the established church, an institution, solid, stable, secure, and changeless. Most of us are more comfortable with the institution rather than the innovation. But the church is not an organization. The church is an organism. It's not an institution, it's a movement. The church is not intended to be institutional, it's designed to be missional. It's supposed to be on the move, it's supposed to fly. So how did he move the church forward in Acts? What can we learn? First, he provided challenges, challenges. The first challenge, of course, was a highly negative one, is martyrdom. In, in chapter seven, the chapter before, we read of the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr of the church of Jesus Christ. He was executed for his faith and his uncompromising message. And you look at that, the church hadn't been around that long, and you say, martyrdom already? This is, this is crazy. What happened to this nice message of Jesus' love? That you get martyred for sharing it. Stephen's message and subsequent reaction of the Jewish authorities really stirred things up and it let loose a torrent of persecution. Persecution, here is a real challenge. In verse three it says, Saul was there giving approval to his death. This is the approval or the official sanction of killing Christians for their faith. It opened a whole new chapter as persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Does that sound familiar? Open season on Christians? Statements that even our leadership in our country have given official sanction to persecuting Christians, not only in America, but around the world. Many of you are in positions, whether you're a student at a college, working a job, whether you're in a neighborhood, no matter where it is, you may sense this new hostility towards Christianity. I don't know if you sense it, I sense it. Being in Seattle, it began a little bit, to be a little bit more obvious a few years ago. We used to stop at a Starbucks. We were pastoring a church in Seattle and we used to stop at a Starbucks on the way in. We'd, we'd probably stop there almost every Sunday for five years. Uh, we needed caffeine, especially Judy. She's late night, late, late morning person. So get up at five on Sunday, we gotta get Starbucks. So we're, we stop at Starbucks. I've been stopping there for five years and I went in this one particular Sunday and it was a big Starbucks with a lot of staff behind the counter, and somebody asked me a question they'd never asked before. He said, where are you on your way to? And I said, church. And it was like a frozen moment in time that just everybody literally behind the counter, six or seven of them stopped what they were doing, and they looked to see who was going to church, of all things. And I sensed 
a veil of hostility that dropped in front of me between them and me. I said, what just happened? There, there's this open season because of the evil in our world on Christians. Persecution, the official sanction. And Saul was the leader of this, this group of persecution. He began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. And I picture the movies from the 30s and, and early 40s of Nazi Germany when the, they went in to attack Jews and take Jewish sympathizers and they knocked down their, their doors at night and they'd drag them off and you'd never see them again. They were probably in some kind of internment camp. Well, like the eaglet who thought his mother had gone berserk and become hostile and turned against him, the Christians must have felt the same way, that somehow maybe God deserted them because the whole world had turned against them and become hostile. Those are negative challenges, and you know, those kinds of things move us out of our comfort zone. Negative challenges that we experience. And no matter what, what your personal crisis or what your crisis is or what the crisis is in a church, those kinds of challenges move us to need God. They pull us out of our comfort zone. And maybe it's a financial crisis, a health crisis, a, a job issue, a relationship. But challenges help us see our own personal limitations that we can't cope with it, uh, with it on our own. Challenges make our nest uncomfortable. Challenges move us closer to God. Challenges make us depend on God. Challenges push us out into thin air. So we have to spread our wings and fly. And there are some negative challenges. Sometimes they're positive challenges that we have. How do we balance a negative and positive challenge, the good and bad in our life? Rick Warren was interviewed by Rick Bradshaw, and, and this is what Rick Warren said. He said, life is preparation for eternity. God wants us to practice on earth what we will do forever in eternity. We were made by God and for God, and until you figure that out, life is not gonna make sense. He says, life is a series of problems. Either you're in one now, or you're coming out of one, or you're about to go into one. How many of you can say that's true? Anybody, anybody not in one of those positions? You're on vacation, take it, you got another couple days, it may be fine. He says the reason is that God is more interested in your character than your comfort. God is more interested in making your life holy than he is in making your life happy. We hear all the time, God's there to make me happy. Come to Jesus, be happy. You know what? God brings happiness, he brings joy, but he's more interested in our character than our comfort. Holiness than happiness. He said, we can reasonably be happy here on earth, but it's not the goal of life. The goal is to grow in character in Christ's likeness. He talks about the challenges he experienced recently, and he said, I used to think that life was hills and valleys. You go through a dark time, then you go through an up time, up and down, up and down. But he said, I don't believe that anymore. He said, life is more than hills and valleys. It's kind of like two rails on a railroad track. He said, in all times you have something good and something bad in your life. No matter how good things are in your life, there's always something bad that needs to be worked on. No matter how bad things are in your life, there's always something good you can thank God for. And there's a balance between what is happening in our life. And we have positive challenges and negative challenges in our church, in our personal lives. But if we can do it, if we can handle those challenges, we don't need God. 
And I believe very strongly that God allows challenges into our life so that we understand our limitations, so that we need God. That eaglet had the confidence that it could walk up and down on that cliff ledge, no problem, and do just fine. It wasn't until he was pushed into thin air that he realized his limitations. And God may be pushing you into thin air. You personally, or you the church, out of the nest. How does God move the church and get it moving forward? Challenges. Secondly, God uses changes, changes. For the Jerusalem church, everything changed overnight. <clears throat> but to go forward as a church, change had to occur. A friend of mine always says, if you only do what you always did, you always get what you always got. And he was, what was he saying? He's saying change has to occur. Now, some people love change. <clears throat> and I'm not going to ask for a, for a show of hands, but some people, there are people in here that, okay, yeah, I see that hand. I, they love change. Other people absolutely hate change. Now, the, we're usually one of the other extremes somewhere in the middle. But change is something that we all deal with. Some people love it, some don't. And it was interesting, as I did some additional reading about eagles and how the baby eaglets learn, I discovered some interesting facts. That first, the mother eagle models the flapping of her wings and has the baby imitate her. And for most, this is the beginning step. But I also discovered, studies have shown, if the baby eagle does not see the mother eagle flapping the wings and get to imitate that, and if it's not forced out of the nest into thin air, it will end up forever living on the ground, pecking around like a chicken. How important is that modeling and how important is that thin air experience? I'll tell you what, if it's going to be an eagle, it's got to have it. That, that eaglet could have lived his whole life in that nest fat and happy or just pecking around the ground like a chicken. But mama eagle says, you got more potential. Just like God says, looks at us and says, you, you have more potential. I'm going to send challenges. I'm going to send changes. I'm going to send you into thin air so that you learn how to fly. We get comfortable in our nest. And God says, I'm going to send these things your way for your benefit. Now, we look at the Old Testament. Well, the Old Testament's just rich in stories of how God interacts with his people and, and how God is always this pursuing God going after the children of Israel. And just like us, when things are going great for the children of Israel, they forget God. And then he comes and brings challenges and changes and all that other stuff. And he has to remind them. And one of the, the, the focal points of the entire nation of Israel was the Exodus experience, their delivery from slavery, and then their 40 years in the wilderness moving on to the promised land. And during that 40 years in the wilderness, in the desert, the children of Israel did two things. They did two things. They marched and they camped. They marched and they camped. They marched and they camped. And some people I know love to march. They love to, let's get moving. Other people like to camp, okay? We have people in every place all around us. Some people love to march, some people love to camp. And there's a balance, there has to be both. But there's one thing that's in common with all of that, and that is change. And it was God that led them and said, now's the time to move forward. Now's the time to change. Now, we deal with change incredibly. 
when you look at the number of changes that have happened just in our lifetimes, um, it's, it's, it's astounding to see. And probably some of you that are even 18 years old or younger probably have seen incredible changes. I remember, and I, and I remember 1995 when, when um, the internet first started gaining momentum and I sent my first email outside to my brother. My brother was a missionary in Taiwan and I sent an email and I go, wow, it worked. Some of you guys going, was there life before the internet? I don't know, you know, that's... But it, the changes that we've seen are astounding. Now, there are, there are different kinds of change. The first one is, is, um, is called continuous change. It comes from the root word, of, uh, the same as with continuity. This is change that develops out of what has gone before. Change that can be expected and anticipated and managed. In other words, raising children to adulthood. You have a baby and you call your mother or mother-in-law or you call somebody who's been through it before you and say, okay, I'm trying to get him to sleep through the night. What do I do? Well, there's kind of this, this way to do it. And so there's continuity, everything kind of happens that way. They're two years old, say, how do I handle this two-year-old? There's continuity, raising children, four years old. There, there, there are things that you can kind of predict that are characteristics about that, then they turn 16, everything goes out the window. But that, that's another story. But, but there's con continuity or there's continuous change. And we have lived for the most of our lives with continuous change. There's a degree of predictability. We kind of know what's gonna happen and somebody has been there before so they know what to do. The problem is today we have discontinuous change. Discontinuous. These are changes that are disruptive and unanticipated. They, they have situations that challenge our assumptions. The skills that you learned in the past have no relevance to this. Everything's changed, it's unpredictable, it's crazy, and people say, what do we do? You say, you look at ISIS and the crisis in the Middle East, you look at the issues of, of pornography on the internet, you look at the sex trafficking, you look, you look at all the kinds of problems that we deal with, there's discontinuous change, and situations exist that did not exist before, and we have no clue what to do. And the politicians all say, I got the answer. And we say, you know what? We, you know, but many of them will say, we don't know what to do. Powerless, discontinuous change. And we live in a culture of constant change and more and more of it is discontinuous change. Very, very challenging. We need God. We have got to have him. We cannot navigate discontinuous change, let alone change without the power of the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom to know what to do. All of this change has removed this soft, cuddly feathers and insulation in our nest, and we're being poked with branches, and we're squawking. But let me tell you something. I don't think we've seen anything yet. I think God is gonna continue to remove that and shove us out into thin air. Why, does, why would he do that? Because he wants us to fly. He wants us to be who we were created to be. The classic example that we know when persecution was unleashed in, in China years ago, people thought the church is gonna be destroyed. Well, church went underground. You know, you can, you can, try, you can try to stop the church of God. I read, a, I read a statistic a couple weeks ago that said by 20, 20, I think it's 20 or 20 or 2030, Christians in China will outnumber Communist Party members. Yeah, it will. The other, the other thing that we're seeing is, is the, the conversion rate of, of Muslims to the Christian faith. 
and that some of these Muslim countries are going to have a majority population of Christians at a certain point. They've projected just because so many people are coming to Christ. How does that happen? Well, they were, they were pushed underground. They were subjected to, to, to change and challenges. How does God move the church? Thirdly, dispersion. Dispersion or scattering. Verse 4 says they were scattered. Now, this seems random, but it really wasn't. You know, the, uh, and, and I wish we could catch a vision of how powerful our influence could be because between Sundays, we spread out. We spread out. Year, years ago, everybody attended their neighborhood church, went to their neighborhood school, lived close and worked close. Uh, our sphere of influence geographically was limited. Today, for better or for worse, whatever, we commute in, we live here, we live there. You, you guys live all over the county and maybe further. I guess there are two counties that, that span Eau Claire and all of this, but basically live all over the place. Is that good or bad? It's great because your sphere of influence is expanded. Eau Claire Wesleyan Church lives all over church and dispersion six days a week, which means you can have an impact in your school, in your neighborhood, in your PTA, your place of employment. Whatever you do during the week, the grocery store, you have the opportunity to make a difference because you're dispersed. And it's no accident that you are where you are. And if God had not sent persecution to the church in Jerusalem, the challenge and changes, it would have stayed in Jerusalem, and it would have died in Jerusalem. It would have been the first church of Jerusalem and the last church of Jerusalem. But God said, no. You need to spread out, scattered. How does God move the church? Challenges, changes, dispersion. Then how does God move through the church? How does he move through the church? We know that he moves us. How does he move through the church? How does he impact lives? How does he make a difference? Now, the, the followers of Jesus in Acts 8 didn't scatter around and feel sorry for themselves. They didn't go into a hiding afraid. Like the baby eagle, they decided to spread their wings and fly. Most of them had probably never flown before. The people who scattered were not preachers, teachers, or apostles. The apostles, in fact, it says they stayed in Jerusalem. Philip was a deacon, but most people who were pushed out of the nest, pushed out of the comfort zone, were ordinary people. They had no previous experience. Many of them were brand new Christians. How did God move through these ordinary people? They talked. How many of you talk? You talk? Okay, good. Just, just checking. Talk. They talk. They, 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 it was called proclamation. It says, those who scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, we, we tend to think of preach the word as, that's what the preacher does when he gets up on Sunday morning. No, they, they spoke or they gossiped the gospel. I like that term. They spoke the word wherever they went. They shared the good news. They proclaimed the message of Jesus Christ. They didn't say, hey, I'm a victim here. I have my rights. I'm going to sue the people in Jerusalem for sending me out of here. Now, there's a place for legal action. That's, that's fine. But instead of bemoaning the fact that they were kicked out of Jerusalem, they weren't complaining. They were proclaiming. They said, I'm going to share the good news. It's like the ultimate of positive attitude. Don't complain. And telling people around us how God has accomplished incredible changes. Changes in us and through our circumstances. Has Jesus changed your life? 
Has Jesus answered prayer? One of the most amazing things is that people realize that God answers prayer. And, and when they realize that, they go, oh, really? You prayed that? And, and you might pray with, it, with them, and they have an answer, and they go, wow, what an accident. What a coincidence. But they begin to realize that you pray and, and get answers. And, and if you're not praying and getting answers, then you better start. <laughs> you say, most of us need answers and need prayer. But sometimes it's good to share with people around us to say, they wonder about the challenge we're going through, and, and we pray. Or we pray for them, and they get curious about, why would somebody pray for me? And then they start seeing answers. How is Jesus making a difference in your life right now? We can resist God's moving us and resist these challenges and these changes, or we can go with the flow and maximize what he's trying to accomplish. So proclamation. Then there's confirmation. This is, goes right along with proclamation. In verses 6 and 7 it says, When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. It says, With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. Mark 16, 17 to 18 says, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, they will drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all, they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Now I know some people are just a little uncomfortable with the signs and wonders thing. Well, let me tell you something. If it's just in the physical realm, we don't need God, we don't need church. This is in the spiritual realm, this is in the supernatural. God works in the supernatural. Do we believe that God does this stuff today? If not, why, why bother praying? Does, does God answer? Is it, we pray any answers? It said when they saw the miracles, they paid close attention to what he said. Signs and wonders confirm the proclamation of the word. They don't replace the word of God. They don't supplant the word of God. They confirm the proclamation. But people must know that our faith works. That Jesus works. God is alive. And the question is, does your relationship with Jesus make you any different? Is there a difference? I had the opportunity to work with an organization called Church Awakening. And in that, we, be, we studied. The, uh, my mentor and leader was, had, had been studying revival. Uh, revivals, which are move of God, and we get all kinds of funny pictures if you've heard a revival before, but basically it's a, where God pours out his spirit and does incredible, miraculous things, and usually a geography. He had experienced a revival as a kid in South Africa, and he studied these, and we had the opportunity to go to, to the Hebrides Islands um, off the coast, coast of Scotland. The Hebrides Islands experienced this incredible move of God with signs and wonders in 1949 to 53 as a four-year Revival, And when we went over there, we videotaped testimonies from people who are now in their 70s and 80s who came to Christ when they were in their teens, 15, 16, and 17 years old. And they talked about the transformation. They talked about the presence of God, the fact that, that it was... Un one, one lady said that, that there was a canopy of God consciousness over the whole island. That, that God was doing signs, God was doing wonders. Now this wasn't a manipulation, it wasn't televangelism, it wasn't some kind of thing. This was 
God sovereignly moving on an entire island, the Hebrides Island. And to hear what God did, signs and wonders. And the reason we study that is because we want to know, can God do it again? And the prayer of these elderly people was, God, do it again. God, do it again. We want to see it happen again. And the cry of our heart is to move beyond the ordinary and say, God, do the supernatural. Start with me. Start with me. It starts with one person at a time. And it can transform a church. It can transform a people, uh, an entire city, an entire nation. Does your relationship with Jesus make you any different? Confirmation. God intervenes. We experience change in answers to prayer. Thirdly, there's integration. Integration. It says that Philip went to Samaria. This is how God moves to the church. So integration. Samaria was a place where, where they had intermarriage and relationships, and I'm not talking about Norwegians marrying Swedes, okay? That, that's, that used to, in our, I, I came from a Norwegian background, and that was called uh, intermarriage in, in my background. But we're talking, Samaria, they had this incredible prejudice against anybody of mixed blood. And, and we, we have issues today with, with, with prejudice and all kinds of things. Back then, they would have nothing to do with them. They were considered subhuman. And so what does Philip do? He goes to Samaria. He crossed this racial, cultural barrier to bring the gospel. How does God move through the church? Integration. And God has called us to move out of our nest, out of our comfort zone to cross racial barriers and cultural barriers. And I'm not talking just about overseas because we can put our money in the offering plate and say, they're gonna go minister to those people over there. I'm talking about people that exist right here in the city. There was a youth ministry in, in Los Angeles and skateboarders from around the, around the church that lived there used to come to the church parking lot and, and do skateboarding. And the people of the church began to build relationships with these kids. They started to come to youth group, but the, these were not your church kids, the normal church kids that we think of. They were rough kids. They were pre-Christians. They dressed weird. They had crazy clothes with odd sayings on the t-shirts. On the they had piercings and tattoos. They smoked and smelled bad. And they didn't know how to act. How were they supposed to act in church? They didn't know. They, they just didn't know the rules. This caused disruptions, and it was uncomfortable. And the people of the church began to complain about these kids. They don't want their kids associating with those kids. That kind of element. So they banned skateboarding from the church parking lot, and it killed the ministry. When God calls a church to minister across a cultural barrier, and make no mistake, we have so many different cultures and subcultures just in the youth area, whether it's rappers or skaters or, you know, you, you name it, we got all kinds of cultures. And, and if you have contact with them, if God calls you to reach across the boundary, you may not understand it, that's okay, but you can love them. God calls on us to reach across those cultural and racial barriers and integration so God can move through the church. And let me tell you something, that will move you out of your comfort zone. It'll move you out of your comfort zone. Well, what are the results of God moving us forward out of our nest, out of our comfort zone? 
We read about it in verse eight. We talk here about transformation. This is radical change in this entire city, in this entire region. Life changed, the city changed, and the result, it says, it's interesting, it says, and the result was there was great joy. Great joy. I can imagine these people who for the very first time realized that they mattered to God, that, that Jesus came and died for them, and that they too could have this relationship with the Creator God. And when they came into that relationship, there was incredible joy because now they discovered the purpose for which they were created. They now had a relationship with their Creator. Talk about joy. It's hard to remember, for a lot of us, if we were raised in the church, that discovery of joy when we came to Christ. And I would challenge you to say, God, help me remember that again so that I can have a passion and a desire to share my faith so they too can be transformed and have the same kind of joy. That's not gonna happen in the natural. It's gotta be in the supernatural. Do you feel like that baby eagle today? Being moved out of your secure, stable, comfortable place into the unknown, into thin air. I believe that that's where God wants all of us. I believe that that's where God wants Eau Claire Wesleyan Church. Out of our secure, stable, comfortable place, into the unknown, the thin air. It requires faith and trust. Flying lessons. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you tell it like it is and you tell us all the things that happened, the, the good, bad, the ugly, the indifferent. Thank you, Lord, for including this in the narrative so we can understand what your work was and what you were about in the book of Acts, in that first church, and how you were not content to let them be comfortable because other people needed Jesus. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us flying lessons, that you would take those challenges and changes and all around us to move us out of our comfort zone, out of where we're comfortable, whatever that represents, so that we too can see transformation and joy. In Jesus' name.